You are Locked On Brewers, your daily Milwaukee Brewers podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Lockdown Brewers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. I'm your host, Ben Larson. Find me on Twitter at Cheesehead Talks, also at Lockdown Brewers, and Facebook.com slash Lockdown Brewers as well. We've got a good one for you today. Dr. Scott will join us, Brewers Sabermetrics genius, and we'll talk about uh, the Brewers and, uh, and, and two players in particular. Brandon Woodruff uh, is a pitcher, of course. You may know him. <laughs> Otherwise known as the de facto ace of the staff before Corbin Burns came in and said, uh, 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 hold your horses. And, uh, and what's holding Brandon Woodruff back from being a true ace, a true number one? Well, it's the, the third time through the order, maybe. That, that, that trouble he runs into in the fifth. You know, he's dominating. The guy looks just lights out like, whoa, they can't touch him through first three or four innings. And then all of a sudden in the fifth, uh, guys start to be able to hit him a little bit better. Again, it's usually not uh, – it's not like he falls apart, but usually if pitch count gets up high, he struggles a little bit, maybe gives up a few runs and giving up even two runs. This year was a death blow for the Brewers pitching staff because there was no way they were going to score that many. So, you know, that's tough circumstances that magnify it. Uh, he, he didn't get a lot of run support, you know, that, and that, that makes it tough. Uh, but, you know, he does run into these issues and is not giving you the length that you want from him. I mean, just think about next year, if he could figure that out and take that next step and consistently give you six, get pitch into the seventh, that sort of thing, you know, more often than not, and almost never have to leave as early as the fifth inning, right? If you could do that and then Corbin Burns continues his ascent, well, that that really is going to make, you know, that – Every turn through the Brewer rotation is is going to give you two fantastic chances to win ball games, and uh, you know that's going to be a lot of fun. And we haven't had that in Milwaukee in a long time, right? I mean, what a long time. Even the even the LCS teams, you know, just haven't had it. Uh, you know, not I guess would you have Sean Markham and and Giovanni Gallardo in twenty eleven? Yeah, I mean they're you know when they weren't hurt they were good. When they hadn't run out of gas, particularly Markham, that was good. Uh, and then you know, 2018, yeah, not really anything to speak of. I mean, not you know, not uh, not stuff that's going to get you too excited. Wade Miley was good when healthy. You know, Shasin was good, but not an ace. So you know, and Woodruff came on late that year and into the playoffs, but wasn't typically a starter. So that that's a big deal. So we'll talk about the analytics behind that with Dr. Scott and also Lorenzo Cain. What would have been different? How would it have been different? How would it have affected the team had he been able to come in and play and not opt out and be an average Kane? You know, just career average. I'm just going, you know, give me a career average season for Lorenzo Kane. He got off to a great start in his first five games. <laughs> you know, what is that one? I can't even do the math on that. One-tenth of the season? Not even. One, 
or just short of one tenth of the season, I guess. So you know, it's significant <laughs> or not. But you know, my point is, if he'd hit two ninety and you know, kind of been his average self, what would that have meant for the Brewers? So there's some analytics dive in there, and we'll do it next. Doctor Scott will join us right here on Lockdown Brewers. Well, I don't need to tell you, and you already know this probably. You're maybe dreading it, but you know it. Look, we're in for a, a few rough COVID months, are we not? It's already spiking in the great state of Wisconsin. It's it's tough, right? It's not as comfortable going out in public. Cold and flu season is here. Spreading of the virus is, is increasing all over the country. Well, Post made it. That's because Postmates, right? You get deliveries for everything. You don't have to worry about going to the store. Not just food, but anything. It's your personal food, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service all year round. Anything you're craving, Postmates can deliver. They are the largest on-demand network in the U.S. and offer delivery from all the restaurants, grocery and convenience stores, and traditional retailers you could possibly want or need. Hey, listen, they're 24-7, 365. You know what that means? All the time, Postmates, they'll bring you what you need, and they bring it within the hour. So no more trips to the store. You don't even need to know where the store is. Postmates will deliver anything to you. You can download the app for iOS or Android for free. Browse local restaurants and businesses and track your delivery in real time. For a limited time, Postmates giving our listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDON. That is code LOCKEDON for $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. Download Postmates and save with code Code locked on. The analytics version of Postmates joins us because he delivers. <laughs> it's uh, it's Doctor Scott, and he's with us uh, once again. The best intro I've ever gotten. Oh, I appreciate that. You know, we'll we'll try and make it stronger <laughs> next week. Even uh, Doctor Scott, a real medical doctor, lest I remind you, uh, and he's here yeah, to true. to break it's down true. some analytics. It is true. Yeah, I mean, I'm trusting I that you it's my true. I, I probably would need to see it for verification because actually, I am taking your word on it, but. Uh, Smart man. Anyway, uh, Dr. Scott is with us again. Brewmaths.com or brew underscore maths on Twitter. All kinds of great tweets. And we'll probably have some great tweets stemming from this particular segment because he did some research for it. Let's uh, start. We're going to talk about Lorenzo Cain and what would have been, Dr. Scott. We'll get to that in a minute. I want to start with Brandon Woodruff. Uh, I talked about him being a big one of the five big issues along with Corbin Burns for the Brewers heading into next year. Uh, earlier this week on a podcast because I said Brandon Woodruff, like a lot of young pitchers, needs to take a step. And the step is consistently getting to the sixth, seventh innings, no matter how he can do it, to become a bona fide number one, you know, ace type starter. He looks dominant through four. And then so many times this year he ran into problems. He didn't fall apart necessarily, but a lot of times he ran into problems. It'd be a, a base hit here, a 10 pitch at bat there, and all of a sudden before you know it, Craig Council's making the slow walk to the mound to remove him from the game after he'd been, you know, again, just about unhittable for the first four innings. So let's dive in. What is the factor there, and what does he need to overcome to become the the number one starter that uh, we all want him to be here? Well, like most all of our conversations, it's not going to be simple um, <laughs> to talk through this, uh, but I do think we can kind of summarize some um, salient points and kind of hit the high stuff here. Um, with Woody, it's a bit of a mixed bag, but it's kind of what you would expect when you see a young pitcher who's trying to come into his own. Um, you don't just wake up one morning and, I mean, maybe one pitcher every generation or two, but guys don't just wake up and know how to strike out major league hitters. That's something that not only do you have to have physical core attributes 
you know, to do, but you have to be able to work on things and develop skill over time. It's very much a mental game. And that's what we're seeing with Woody right now. Everyone who watches this guy pitch knows he can blow the ball by you. I mean, 96, 97, 98, he does that routinely. So this is a power pitcher, right? I mean, we can all agree on that, I hope. And so you look at the numbers and kind of the overall, let's step back and take a general look at this kind of stuff. And we see that he's improving across the board. I mean, from 2018 to 2020, just about everything's gotten better. His ERA was 3.05 this last year. His career number is 366. His FIP in 2020 was 3.2. Career, it's 3.31. Even the XFIP. In three, it was 3.29 in 2020 and 3.55 over his career. So he's clearly taking these little steps that you're kind of implying need to happen mm-hmm. for him to get to, you know, this ace status. Um, but we also have recognized that, look, he's kind of given us this solid performance through four or five innings we can hang our hat on, but then things seem to fall apart. And as an analytics nerd, that – you know, kind of gets me going. What What's happening? What's changing, right? And so the first place I usually go is StatCast to kind of get an idea of what's happening, how the ball's moving, et cetera. And if we look at his progression through barrel rates, hard hit percentage, even exit velocity, exit velocity there's a trend that's kind of happened where he, it, let, let's just use the exit velocity. It was 87.7 the opponent exit velocity in 2018, 86.1 in 2019, and then back up to 86.7 in 2020. That's kind of what we see with all these numbers, the barrel rate, the hard hit percentage. He was really good in 2018. Or I'm sorry. He was, he was really good in 2019. And then he's kind of taken a step back in 2020. Um, well, if we look at the whiff percentage now in 2018, 2019, it was 26%. In 2020, it's 29%. And so, all right, He's getting guys to miss a little bit more, but it's kind of on par. So it seems like there's, again, everything we're looking at here is consistent with these incremental kind of gains. But like any true progress, it's never linear, especially with pitching. And so we're kind of seeing how he's getting better at this and getting a little bit worse at that. Now, let's be more specific instead of talking in generalities now. If we look at batted ball stuff, what are guys doing with the ball when they hit it? Well, we know that um, in 2019, they barreled at 3.5% of the time. In 2020, they're barreling at 7.2% of the time. So that's, uh, you know, double. But what they're doing with a lot of the, the hits is getting it into the air more. And so guys are, are flying out a lot more infield fly balls, uh, what he's generating. And so, you know, you, you kind of get the impression that maybe he's doing something different with his pitches. If guys are getting under this more, you know, they're popping out more. Um, just kind of a note on the side too, they're hitting the ball out of the field at the same rate. So even though he's getting guys to pop up more, they're not hitting more home runs. Hmm. Um, so that that's kind of where all this stuff led to. And, and when you get to that point, what you want to know is what's changing in his repertoire. You know, what, what is, how is he pitching um, in a way that's different? Is he using different pitches? Well, if we look at 2018, 19, and 20, there's been a progression with all of his pitches. It's funny. Like, they're, they're all following a consistent trend. Either he's using them more over time or less over time. It's been steady. So the four-seamer, he used 20, uh, 55 and 35% in 2020. So uh, how did he – what did he do differently? Well, the sinker went from 9% to 31%. 
And so he's kind of like Corbin Burns was doing. He's trying to vary the looks of his fastball instead of just chucking a laser dart four-seamer at a guy over and over and over, which looks the same, doesn't have a lot of spin. Um, you know, he's starting to mix in the sinker, which looks very similar but moves differently. Um, and so that's been effective. Uh, he's also increased the changeup and the curve and he's using the slider much less. He used the slider 24% of the time in 2018, and it's down to 10% now. Um, and so you look at this, and it seems like there's all these things shifting around, and, and he's kind of figuring out how to rebalance his pitches, and that's true. But if we look at just the fastball part of it, the four-seamer and sinker, like if we just look at those percentages and add them up, 64% in 2018, 64% in 2019, 66% in 2020. So this is a power pitcher who's throwing a lot of fastballs. And even though he's learning to vary the look of it, he's still dependent completely upon that power. The curveball, the slider, the, the changeup, those are pitches that are kind of coming along. Um, and as those auxiliary pitches are, are kind of coming in to their own in the background, his fastball has be, been more effective. If you look at the expected batting average on his fastball, 2018, 234, 2019, 203, 2020, 153. Hmm. So this third time through the lineup, when guys start to hit him, I think what, what we're seeing is guys are catching up. You know, they, they are overpowered the first two times they see him, and he doesn't have enough breaking stuff, off-speed stuff to consistently fool guys in that third at bat. And so he's trying to go back to that power well one more time, and guys – you know, they're onto it. Okay, so that's what I'm seeing. You, you, after all that, as you kind of got to the end, uh, I, I was frazzled. My brain was working overtime. I couldn't figure out what was happening. And then it kind of came crystal clear. He needs to get better at the three secondary pitches, so to speak. At least one of them. He needs to develop maybe a devastating changeup or something along those lines or yep. the cutter. or you know, I shouldn't say the slider. Slider or changeup, that, that probably should be what he needs to do because – Third time through the order. And this was, I thought, you know, again, the fifth inning in the playoff game uh, was also some bad luck. He had some bad defense behind him. Uh, he had, uh, statistically-wise, dominated through the first four. But you could see in the fourth that the Dodgers were starting to get better swings against him. Yep. And that, in my mind, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. And it happened in the fifth. And he didn't make it out of the fifth. And we see it because we've seen it so much with him. And so... Though uh, the TV broadcasters will convince you that he's got a great changeup and a great slider, maybe they're not as great as they need to be for him to consistently become, you know, the number one pitcher, or, or along with Corbin Burns, the number one pitcher, and get into the sixth, seventh inning. So really, maybe more than a mental thing, it is actually fine tuning, and I suppose this is mental too, but fine tuning. Again, right. either the slider or the changeup is, is would be my thought. I mean, maybe you can have, have a dandy of a curve too. Who knows? But if he could perfect it, it could one of those other pitches. It could be as simple as sequencing too, Ben. You know, I mean, like yeah. he could just be throwing these pitches in an order that, uh, you know, guys have learned kind of how to pick up on. You know, maybe it's the the arm angle he's he's giving, giving off or that, you know, it could be anything really that's tipping these guys off or not allowing him to progress past that fifth inning. But I think the, the big thing that we're starting to dive into here is that he's got an evolving pitch repertoire. And as it's evolving, he's kind of starting to um, seemingly get a little bit further into game. Like if we look at the, the splits, the lineup splits in 2019, he was actually better the mm -hmm. third time through the lineup than he was the second. 
Um, and so this isn't like something that's been consistent throughout his career and consistently getting worse and like exposed. I think what, you know, it kind of comes back to what we talked about initially, that this is a guy who, you know, you see that kind of progress where you see two steps forward, three steps back. And overall though, um, you know, he does seem to be getting better and better and inching closer to that elite status. Yeah. No, off to see. I mean, I remember too early last year talking about 2019, it would be an early blow-up. It would be an early bad inning that he would overcome, and then he'd be good. And then toward the end of, of uh, 2019, he was just good uh, all through. Is my memory here? I don't have any. Yep, no, you know, I don't have any notes in front of me because I don't do that, Doctor Scott. What the numbers say? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good. And that's what my brain says too, so we know it's on par. <laughs> so anyway, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. So yeah, obviously, be much anticipated into next year. And I have the solution. The solution simply is do exactly what Corbin Burns did last year. Okay. That's all you need to do. <laughs> Follow him around. I know I know that he's got a newborn uh, daughter now. He's got a few kids. Uh, screw it, Brandon Woodruff. Yep. Don't spend nope. time with your kids. Go to Arizona. Spend all your time in the pitching lab. And uh, you may get divorced, but uh, it'll be worth Burns it. Burns is your baby now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> all right, talking with Dr. Scott, brewmaths.com, at brew underscore maths on Twitter. Let's talk about Lorenzo Cain. Uh, okay. He opted out. Yeah, he opted out. He was off to a great start in the first three games, <laughs> but he opted out. And uh, the Brewer offense was bad, as we all know. Well documented, will be talked about ad nauseum through the offseason. How do they get better? But my question is, and I brought this up uh, earlier in the week too, is is what would it have looked like had Lorenzo Cain, not not 2018 Lorenzo Cain, because that was – you know, one of the best, if not the best years of his career. And he probably was a little over what, what his average should be, right? He had, yeah, a, had yeah. a career year. But career average, 290, you know, uh, uh, you know, leadoff hitter, being the defensive prowess that he is. You know, defense aside, which would have been nice for the Brewers for sure, because it always is, uh, if he'd been able to, to spark him at the top of the lineup, because they never could figure out the leadoff hitter the whole season here. Um, what do the numbers say? And I, I'm expecting... The numbers to not be as good as I hope they'll be as far as what it would translate because it never is. Nah, but what do they you say? You know, like, I think that we'd all be foolish to think if we just put Lorenzo Cain in that it fixes everything. But um, you put a guy in who has high energy, is a leader, um, plays better defense than anyone maybe in the league, yeah. uh, won a gold glove last year. I mean, he was, if I remember right, he was sixth in MVP voting in 2018. I mean, this isn't a guy that, you know, you just kind of you talk about like he's he's a throwaway player like he he has some real talent to bring the problem with Kane has been can he sustain it you know he's been so hurt we, we've all yeah. looked at you know him as he hobbles around the bases and his knees seem to be disintegrating but he came back at the beginning of this year seemed rested seemed like you know he was back on his game um he only played in five games but he hit 333 while he was here with a 429 on base percentage um and, you know, that, that's probably not sustainable. But is it crazy to think he would have hit 300 and, you know, gotten on base, you know, had an OPB of like 350, 360? I don't think so. Yeah. Um, you know, and if you just put that consistently at the top of the lineup with his energy, his defense, kind of the way he, he runs the bases and screws things up, um, messes with the other yeah. team, uh, i.e. the Cubs. Yeah. Um, he, he sure uh, would have added a, a lot of, uh, you know, the team would have been much more dynamic because now all of a sudden you got Gamble on the bench instead of relying on a guy like him to come and play center field for you every day. Um, you know, that outfield 
uh, becomes one of the best outfields in the game if you put Kane in there. Now, one thing we can't escape, Ben, is the 2020 Brewers only had three players with a war of .5 or higher, Jerko, Pena, or Vogelbach. Let's talk about the names who had negative war, i.e. they hurt the team with what they did. Healy, Braun, Narvaez, Sogard, Garcia, Hira, Gamble. Not to mention Smoke, Holton, you know, the, these other guys who've kind of come and gone along the way. Yeah. So, I mean, you put Kane in there and it, it changes the whole face of this team. And, you know, he's my favorite player. Uh, I love the energy he brings and kind of how he affects other other guys. And you, you could feel that. They just didn't have the same energy this year. Yeah, I guess. And, you you know, you look at it and, again, I, I don't know what his career war is. You probably have that stat in front of you because I don't ever have those stats in front of me. But, uh, but. Is that the stat you look at and with this question? You know, again, if you say, okay, given a healthy Kane uh, and career average Kane, uh, what are, you know, do they finish above 500? I mean, it's what? We're talking about two wins, two more wins. Uh, and I don't know yeah. what his career war is, but is that is, is that just but simply the stat you go to? For in 2020 was a, a war of 0. 0.4. Okay. And, you know, that's not going to yeah. revolutionize a season by adding that much war. Um, but, it definitely will kind of take a team, a sub 500 team to maybe just over. Um, and mm-hmm. the Brewers were right on that line. So, yeah, I mean, Kane does seem like he would have been the X factor this year. If we could have had him in there, it, it would have, but you know, does that translate to an exit out of the first round or did they get any further in the playoffs? I, I doubt it. Yeah. No, I mean, it, cause that's the question, right? Let's say that they win. Let's be real generous here and say they win 32 games because Lorenzo Kane's there, right? So it's three more wins. And they're 32 and, and 28, and that would have put them in probably what the fifth or sixth position in the National League, and they would have had a different yeah. opponent. They would have had uh, what the Braves or the, the probably the Braves. I'm thinking, yeah, probably the Braves. Uh, right. You know, do they win that without series? Burns, well, without uh, Williams. Without yeah, well, Williams. that's true too. I mean, you know that yeah. that would have, then that those those injuries would have hurt a ton more because even with Burns and Williams. You know they aren't scoring any runs, so it's hard to see them beating the Dodgers, right? Very hard. Exactly. The Dodgers are the best team in baseball. So, but that you know against a team like maybe the Braves, where they're still really good, um, you know they're still they'd still be the favorites probably. But maybe you have a, a little bit more of a, a hope. So yeah, those injuries right in the last week into the of the series also really hurt things for the Brewers. But yeah. it's just an interesting thing to discuss. I mean, that's why you know your mind sometimes when you talk about a war of point four, it's it's difficult to comprehend that because you're thinking, well, but come on. You know, Kane would get on base a little bit in those first few innings. Maybe the Brewers could play from ahead a couple times because they had they put pressure on opposing pitchers, and it's just it's hard for me right. sometimes to to suggest that WAR is the end all and be all, or it's like this great stat that sure. you can't dispute because there's so much more that goes into it that you know to me Especially with a guy like Kane, you yeah, get all the intangibles he brings to the table, and it's it's tough to put that into numbers, you know, and so yeah. you 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 lose a lot with him that you can't quantify. All right. Well, we solved nothing, uh, but it's fun to talk about that, and, and we'll see what uh, Lorenzo Kane. Now he really should be rested coming into next season. <laughs> he should be. Yeah, yeah. Let's he hope should be, he should be ready to go. So we'll see. All right, uh, Doctor Scott. Always great to dive into these conversations, and we'll do it again soon. Thanks. Sounds good. You know this, and I'll just remind you, Dr. Scott can be found always at uh, brewmaths.com, also at brew underscore maths on Twitter. That's the real good follow for you right there on Twitter, don't you know? Uh, Dr. Scott on brewmaths, at brew underscore maths.com on Twitter. He'll probably have a lot of these stats he just labeled off for you in the segment on his Twitter feed because don't let him go to waste just on this podcast. He'll put them on the Twitter feed as well, and you can look into the stats behind Brandon Woodruff and Lorenzo Cain. I'll say say this. 
<laughs> you can't hold me accountable at all at all because no one would ever know. If Lorenzo Cain had played the whole year and been his, his average self, you know, over the course of his career, in other words, hitting about 290 on base, you know, 360, 370, you know, that sort of thing, uh, I think the Brewers would have won 32 games. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And that would have made a difference. They wouldn't have played the Dodgers in the first round. And so they would have had a chance at least, you know. If the injuries had still occurred, you know, that probably would have been tough to hold. Because even if they'd been able to scratch out a lead against, uh, say, the Braves, you know, could they hold on to it without Williams? Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, it would have been – it's funny. It's only three games, but it would make you feel better, wouldn't it, about the, the Brewers? Uh, probably. Anyway, uh, we'll talk to Dr. Scott again next week and uh, always good analytics to run over here on the podcast. Uh, that'll do it for our show here today, and uh, we'll look forward to again uh, talking tomorrow. Uh, we'll, we'll recap the playoffs a little bit more here uh, as, as these series get going and get a little deeper, these divisional series, more intrigue. We'll uh, talk about that on tomorrow's show and uh, also start to address some of the offseason questions even more uh, here with Lockdown Brewers and, and uh, what things are going to look like here for the Brewers. There's just a long way to go even before they, some of these deadlines need to get met before we really get into it with the offseason. So we'll highlight some of that as well for you and kind of give you an idea of what you know what timetable these decisions will have to be made on so we'll talk about that tomorrow i'm ben larson i'll talk to you again tomorrow when we deliver your daily brewers fix right here on lockdown brewers part of the lockdown podcast network brewers, you know.